perhaps have like a certain style or a certain fashion that you maybe gravitate towards? Oh, I I mean, in general, not at all. It's just <laughs> it's just wild flailing to what might look okay. I don't know how to match colors. I don't know. I don't know anything about anything. Oh, I um, wasn't looking to out you, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> what I will say is last summer I discovered I I I like wearing crop tops so that I feel like yeah. I'm in my crop top era. Your crop top flop era. What was a wow. flop era again? I don't know, but I feel insulted. <laughs> <laughs> I you feel might like it can't have been good. You might should be. I don't know though. <laughs> Welcome to Butter No Parsnips. Every week on Butter No Parsnips, your hosts Emily Moyers and Kyle Imperator take you on an adventure through the weird, wacky, wonderful, and sometimes even wicked world of one wayside word. Strange characters, delightful bits, and general joyousness abound. Join them as they test each other's etymological expertise. everybody welcome to butter no parsnips i'm emily moyers and i'm kyle imperator i really tried to make that a smooth segue and there was none yeah it was like crunchy peanut butter instead of smooth (laughs) peanut butter but it was still peanut butter you know (laughs) well emily speaking of food uh this is the butter no parsnips podcast oh yes my segue (laughs) that's good that's a good okay that's a good segue those are two foods cool uh and uh, as a part of that podcast i've got a word for you (gasps) what a relief structure Uh, (laughs) (laughs) finally we need it i think you're gonna like i think you're gonna learn a lot today emily are you ready for your word i'm ready eddie emily your word is foulard f-o-u L-A-R-D, Foulard. Oh, wow. Foulard. Mm-hmm. Is that the, the bad guy in Shrek? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Lord oh, Foulard? Lord, I forgot his name already. Yes, Lord <laughs> Foulard. <laughs> so, I mean, right away, if the language of origin isn't French, I'm going to jump out the window that's next to me. I mean, I've got good news, Emily. You can stay <sighs> on the floor that you're on. That's good. Part of speech, I guess, I'm going to guess it's a noun? It is a noun. That is a good guess. Okay. All right. Why did you guess that it was a noun? I don't know, honestly. I wouldn't Hmm. have been surprised if you had said any other part of speech. Sure. So, is this like a type of person? Is a person a foulard? No. No. Interesting. No. Interesting. Just collating information, but I'm getting nothing. So can I have a hint? <laughs> Speaking of getting nothing, Emily, here's your hint. Uh-oh. <laughs> your hint is the word smooth. <gasps> smooth. What, what a good tie-in. <laughs> <laughs> what our peanut butter is not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lard. We're no, going to say ahead. I did that purposefully, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Foulard, and the hint is smooth. And it's a noun. Okay. Wow. Sheesh Louise. Okay. A mm-hmm. foulard is... Okay. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> if it helps, it may not. It may make it more confusing. But as a noun, it can be a countable or uncountable object. You know what I mean? Oh. But it is... Is it a physical thing yes. or a concept? The former. It is a physical okay. thing. It is a physical thing, but not necessarily countable? There are two definitions of it. 
Okay. So get one. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So the more confusing is where that landed, I think. <laughs> well, no, but it has, I mean, it's made it more confusing, but it's given it some kind of context. So in the uncountable, would you say a foulard or would you just say foulard, like, like milk, just like you just say foulard, just foulard in the uncountable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Maybe it's because I just said milk, but now I'm thinking, for some reason, I'm thinking it's cheese related. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is foulard like a like a smooth cheese? Is it like a mozzarella? <laughs> like a brie? Yeah, I, I usually have a mozzarella stick and then go, smooth. <laughs> um, I, I have no idea, so I'm going to say that cheese is my official guess. <laughs> I, that's not a bad official guess. Um, it's wrong. <laughs> Very wrong. I'm sure it is. Foulard, Emily, is a lightweight silk fabric, often with a printed pattern. Oh. Mm-hmm. But it's smooth? Well, smooth as silk was where I was oh, getting at. Oh, you're a criminal. <laughs> <laughs> but what's but, the Emily, countable? It can also be a handkerchief, neckerchief, or scarf made with this material. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Tell me more. Oh, Emily, please. Uh, What if I didn't have any more? What if it was just like... (laughs) Oh, Emily, no, I can't. (laughs) don't. (laughs) Please don't ask me that. (laughs) No, I've got plenty more for you, Emily. So it comes from the French foulard, meaning scarf or kerchief. We're not sure where the French comes from, but it's possibly related to foulet, which means to stamp or impress. Oh, because it has a printed uh, print? Right, right. Foulet is also the origin of another fabric, the English foulet, which is a type (laughs) of light-pressed woolen fabric. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. Getting all the fashion words. You're getting all the fashion words. It's a fashionable day, Emily. (laughs) And foulet can be traced back to the Latin foulare, which means to trample. And it's where we get the verb full, where to full means to make cloth denser and firmer by soaking, beating, and pressing. Oh. So it's it's like a term used in the cloth in, making in industry. Cloth making. Wow. Fulling. A fuller does that work. So they so- soaking, beating and pressing like just to make it like denser? Yeah, to make it like stiffer is to full, yeah. Wow. I- Kyle, your 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 promise has already <laughs> been fulfilled. I'm learning so much. Good, we can end it here. No, don't end it here. Tell me more. So, Emily, the fabric itself, foulard, isn't of French origin, which is interesting. It appears to have come from Asia. I couldn't track it down to one specific place. I, there is one of the historical records that describes it as coming from India, so net probably definitely India, but m- maybe also elsewhere in Asia. We just don't have like official confirmation, uh, right? There's there's not a ton about it, honestly. The history of fabrics is kind of hard to trace down because there's so many names for all different types, and it's changed over the years. Sure, and I mean, I imagine probably there are some fabrics that like predate. The written word. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. 
the earliest mention of foulard silk in French was in 1747. And then the earliest English instance was a 1785 translation of a French treatise called The Art of Dyeing Silk. And the author, the chemist Pierre Maquet, complicates (gasps) the etymology further. He says that the silks were landrins, furies, foulards, etc., Probably the names of the people by whom they were fabricated. Oh. So he thinks there was someone named Foulard, and that's why we named it that. (laughs) But not necessarily true. (laughs) Probably not true. But although, I mean, I did find Foulard as a name when I was looking, but I mean, I mean, who knows? Am I right? You're so right. Does Foulard have, like, did that word have some origin other than just the name of the fabric? No. If it did, we don't know. Gotcha. Yeah, it's it's pretty tenuous, our, our etymology of it. Gotcha. Emily, do you know how silks are dyed by any chance? Oh, I, I don't. And I, I, I would have assumed it was just a process of soaking it in dye. But by that question, I now get the feeling I'm wrong. <laughs> no, I mean, no, you're correct. I just wanted to know, like, what you what you knew about silk dyeing? Uh, not a lot. Not much beyond what I just said. <laughs> well, you're probably familiar with screen printing, which is used <gasps> sure. for, for fabrics, silks as well, but not in the case of foulards. I like silk screen. Silk screen. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Emily. But Mackay explains that the original process for dyeing foulard was to tie the fabric into knots and to plunge it into dye so that when unraveled, the sections that had the knots in them would remain undyed and would reveal interesting flower patterns. He's talking about tie-dye. Yeah, I mean, basically, but it was all put into one color. You know what I mean? Like, it was they didn't mix colors that way. Sure, but, like, you can do tie-dye like that, too. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Wow. So, yeah, tie-dye is a much older process <laughs> yeah, than you think. Say, it didn't occur to me that tie-dye could be that old. <laughs> Ancient, really. You think they were doing it in 17th century French summer camps? (laughs) Well, I mean, he's describing the process that the Indians used for dyeing foulard, so I think it was probably even older than that. In in ancient Indian summer camps? (laughs) Yeah. So he, he explains that the Europeans shortened this process once they started producing foulard by using iron or lead molds to stamp wax patterns onto the silk so that when the silks were dropped into the dye, the places where the wax were wouldn't get dyed and then they would scrape the wax off. Right. Uh, That's fun. Uh, That is fun. This is, I mean, this is, this is just stuff that you can do. (laughs) It it really is. Yeah. Try this at home, folks. Uh, you can have your own fashion industry. <laughs> you just need to get, I don't know, silkworms. Yeah, you got to make the silk <laughs> yeah. from scratch. Yeah. He says by comparison, though, Emily, that the European product compared to the Indian product was inferior. He says it was frequently very unequally woven and made only of the refuse silk, which is known as shap. <gasps> it's a piece of shap. <laughs> a piece of shap. <laughs> That's what I'm going to start saying yeah. from now on. <laughs> ah, it's a piece of shap. You just walk into like clothing stores. <laughs> so shap silk, Emily, since it's made of like the leftover silk, it's made with short fibers. Um, and it's usually mixed with strands of other materials like cotton. So it's seen as, you know, not to, like, as stretch it. 
fancy, yeah, not as fancy as regular foulard of the normal foulard. It's not to be confused as though with a fabric called foulardine, which is a cotton material that is made to imitate foulard. Oh, it's it's fool f o o l fool foulard foulard beyond foulard beyond foulard. <laughs> so foulard became a popular clothing fabric for 19th century Europeans and Americans, and the term has been bandied about in such fanciful periodicals as R. Ackerman's Repository of Fashions. The Ladies' Cabinet of Fashion, Music, and Romance, and my favorite, and I think it'll be your favorite too, The Milliner and Dressmaker and Warehouseman's Gazette. (laughs) Warehouseman's! That's what they should call the tuxedo store. Instead of men's warehouse, warehouseman's. (laughs) I'd like to speak to Mr. Warehouseman, please. (laughs) This fabric's positively fool art. It's a piece of shap. It's a piece of shap. Thank you. (laughs) So the American cookbook author Eliza Leslie was a contributor to some such magazines. And her short story, Mr. and Mrs. Woodbridge, contains the following exchange between the married couple, where the missus is trying to pick out a dress. You ready for this, Emily? I'm so ready. Okay, so Mrs. Woodbridge says, Oh, there are my chalet and my gros des Andes and my peau de soie and my foulard. If you will tell me which is which, interrupted Mr. Woodbridge, I will endeavor to assist you in your choice. But from its name, foulard, as you call it, I do not imagine that last thing can be a very nice article. It sounds like the guy who was the villain from Shrek. (laughs) (laughs) She responds to him and says, What fools men are. Now that is the very prettiest of all my walking dresses. I absolutely dote upon foulard. So she was listing off the fabrics that her dresses is made of, or could you use the word foulard to describe a garment made of it? Only scarves. Not, not, yeah, not dresses. Not full dresses. Yeah, so she was just describing the fabrics that all of her dresses are made of. Gotcha. Some of which I couldn't find instances of anywhere else. Gros des (laughs) Andes, I could not figure it out. But yeah, so... On that point, Emily, while foulard was used for garments like dresses and even shoes, I found, it was particularly popular for use in kerchiefs and scarves, so much so that a foulard came to mean a kerchief or a scarf. You can think of the lovely patterned foulards that Queen Elizabeth wore on her outings into the public, right? Sure. They had like floral designs on them and they were bright and colorful. Yeah, it's like a whole thing. Yeah. People just have like like stores and stores of kerchiefs for every outfit. Of kerchiefs for every... It's also... I've seen it used in magicians' manuals too. Like when they're like working with silk scarves for like hiding things, they call it the magician's foulard, which is fun. (gasps) Pull a dove out of foulard. (laughs) Out of a foulard. (laughs) For another example, Emily, I found this short story in the January 1863 edition of Fraser's Magazine. That describes a stout woman in a short blue petticoat, long gold earrings, and a yellow foulard tied round her head. Lovely. Yeah. I mean, it may just also be a description of Queen Elizabeth. Who knows? I mean, honestly, that's a look I would try out. I could see you doing that. It's very keeping up appearances. Sure. I feel like it's a very European look. But I've, I feel like I'd like to try out a petticoat. Long gold earrings. Long gold earrings and a and a foulard round my head. Foulard. I'd have to get a, a big foulard. I got a big head. Yeah. <laughs> now, Emily, 
this shift from foulard being used for the material to foulard being used for the actual garment itself is a semantic shift that occurred through a process known as metonymy. Have you heard oh, of metonymy? I I have. Oh, hang on. I got to search through you the f- filing cabinets in my brain. You can do it. Oh, it's like closely associated with another very similar thing too. Because there's one that's like that's like part of a whole. Yes, we're going to get to that. Of a part. Yes, yeah. we're going to get to that. Yeah. You'll, yes, you're going to recognize the word immediately. Yeah. But, so a metonym is formed when one concept is referred to by something that is closely associated with that concept. Right. There were examples like like when you say the White House to refer to the president. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. The example that I have is when someone talks about the trends on 7th Avenue, they're referring to the fashion industry as that street has historically been the center of Manhattan's garment district. So they're talking almost figuratively about the fashion industry, but it's, right. it's not so much because it's a very close relationship, right? Yeah. Or saying Wall Street to refer yes. to the all stock the stocks. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You got it. So that this is a contiguous or an associative relationship between these two, which is different than metaphor, which refers to something figuratively by insinuating a similarity between two otherwise disparate concepts. So like I, if I were to say the fashionistas on 7th Avenue were lions, I'm not literally calling them lions. There's nothing right. actually connecting them to lions other than what I'm trying to draw Express comparison about between. yeah yeah yeah, yeah so yeah. emily i you were about to say it before but you couldn't remember the word yeah so there's another the word. word that's specifically like if if it's part of a whole or whole of a part yes that word is synecdoche synecdoche yes <laughs> spelled with a c-h-e yes with the c-h-e just like schenectady but different which is a a point of reference that a very small section of our listeners will understand. <laughs> uh, specifically, synecdoche is spelled S-Y-N-E-C-D-O-C-H-E. And I guess I can spell schenectady too. C-S-C-H-N-E-C-T-A-D-Y. He can't spell schenectady. But now that you've said both in close proximity, I'm going to forget which is which. Good, 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 good. So, synecdoche is when a term for part of something is used to refer to the whole thing or vice versa. Yeah. So in this case, the material is used to refer to the garment as a whole. Can you think of any other instances? So this isn't the only fashionable instance of synecdoche. Can you think of any other instances where a fabric is used to refer to the garment as a whole? I'm trying to like run through fabrics in my head. (laughs) Well, I'll give you one and then maybe it'll jog your mind for some others. (laughs) Okay. Furs are fur coats, right? We just call them furs. You could just say That's the material, right? But they are fur coats. They're not furs, right? I mean, they're made of fur. Right. Do you want the other one too? Yeah, go ahead. Nylons. Nylon stockings (gasps) are called nylons, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So this happens a lot with materials and their end products, but but especially in clothing, just because it's easier than, you know, uh, calling something a nylon stocking or a foulard scarf. It's it's almost just an abbreviation. Right, exactly. So fashion itself can be used as visual metonymy, (gasps) all right? So when we talk about someone like Little Red Riding Hood, we're talking about the character that wears the hood. 
not the oh, hood itself, right? Right, but it it makes the image in your head of a person in a little hood. Right, exactly. It's it's representative of the person, you know. We're not saying the little girl who wore the little who wore the red riding hood. Right. So the foulard isn't just a fashion object, Emily. In France, it has become a visual metonym in an ongoing debate over the acceptance of Muslim women in French society. Oh. Not expecting me to go there with this episode. (laughs) No, but go there, Kyle. But go there. So I'll preface this conversation with the fact that I am neither French nor Muslim nor a woman, so I cannot genuinely speak to the weight that this information may hold, but it seems to me to be an important enough part of the word's history that we should mention it here and we should have a conversation about it. Love it. So, Emily, in France in 1989, three Muslim middle school girls were suspended for wearing headscarves in class. They were suspended under the French constitutional principle of secularism which they call laïcité. It demands that there be a separate a separation of religion and government in French culture. It's like ingrained in their constitution. Sure, it's like church and state. Right, but they actually follow it, unlike, <laughs> unlike how we do. <laughs> Kyle said, we're going to get serious. <laughs> I mean, that's just how it practically works. <laughs> So the controversy is now known as l'affaire du foulard, or the foulard affair, or the scarf affair, if you want to translate it less literally. Sure. And it's been compared to the Dreyfus affair. Do you know what the Dreyfus affair is, Emily? Oh, uh, tell me it's Seinfeld related. It's not Seinfeld. (laughs) Dreyfus? Is there a Dreyfus in Seinfeld? Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Oh. So the Dreyfus affair is a very infamous affair in French history. It was an 1894 scandal over anti-Semitism that had similar repercussions in French culture. So, Yikes. (laughs) Yikes. (laughs) (laughs) But one part of the debate that the Foulard affair sparked was over what to call the headscarves that these girls were wearing. And detractors of wearing the headscarves, chose terms like chador and ijib to signify foreignness and incite Islamophobic reactions. Right. While defenders used francophone words like voila or foulard islamique to convince others that the use of the foulard was a legitimate personal choice. Sure. So it's from foulard islamique that the French word Foulard, or the French foulard, has come to imply headscarf mainly. So it mainly means headscarf, whereas in English it just means a scarf of any kind. Gotcha. So the 2005 textbook Women and Islam describes a history of the French media manipulating language and imagery to associate the removal of the hijab with assimilation into French society, in so much as it constructs this idea of unveiling as a metaphor for colonial domination as you know becoming more assimilating to become more french means to take to remove your hijab right and the 1997 textbook violence states the foulard the headscarf worn by muslim girls became a symbol of the muslim way of life 
it was a metonymic symbol, <gasps> one which stood for a whole religious and cultural group. Wow. Yeah. I love I love when grammar affects politics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, just to catch us up a little bit to current day, since 1989, the debate over the French foulard has only gotten more complex. Oh my there was goodness. a law passed in 2004 which prohibits in schools uh, conspicuous signs of faith, which they consider the hijab to be, but not Jeez if the school Louise. determines that it isn't a sign of faith. So if they were to say, oh, someone walk, comes to school wearing a bandana and they believe that it is for fashion purposes, that would be allowed. Um, so it's gotcha. very dicey. Could this, like, could the school sort of turn a blind eye that way? Uh, it is very vague. It's more probable that they would use it to target oh. Muslims wearing headscarves and turn a blind eye to maybe other religions. Say, if a Christian were to wear a headscarf or something like that, you right. know, like wearing a cross. A yes, yeah. they've actually kind of said, all right, well, wearing crosses or, you know, stars of David around your neck, like that's a less conspicuous sign of faith. So that is not included in the law, but yeah. it's, it's, it's just and so also, blurry it's what the, the line is. it's the faith that we consider ours. Right, so right, just... right, right. So it's, it's yeah. just, it's a very difficult you know, thing because you're talking about a country's constitution, you know, yeah. just like with us, when we have our debates over, you know, gun rights and freedom of speech, it's really hard to kind of figure out where the line is drawn. But Emily, all of this is to say that what once at the beginning of the episode was a seemingly innocuous foulard has clearly been stamped with a lot more meaning than one can tell at first glance. Yeah, boy. I mean, now you're getting into, like, current events. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great word. That's what we're getting into. Politics. Uh, boy, I, that's, a good, that's a good phrase. Fine words, butter no politics. Butter no politics. <laughs> they should start saying that in debates. <laughs> we're going to start um, it. Emily, oh, my God. <laughs> we should do we should do a political debate between you and I, but, like, over something not political <laughs> i mean hey everybody check out our patreon it's been done <laughs> yeah <laughs> twice now <laughs> you're right yeah i um, guess i just want a moderator telling you us want yeah you want it more formalized to cut us off <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll have timed responses yeah great word kyle uh, thank you emily Foulard. i know it's like a, a bit of a serious one at the end and it was you know but sure know, it's a big talk know, about serious things yeah it's good to talk about good to get that stuff out in the world but it, under the guise of a fun word some fun grammar stuff i love getting into some some nitty-gritty grammar I, Which I is know my you. rock band also. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, uh, can you use foulard in a sentence? I'm sure I can, and I'm so glad that you remembered to ask. Yes. Uh, I, I have bought this new shirt today. It's a collared shirt, so now I'm wondering how it might look when paired with an ascot or foulard. <gasps> Lovely, Emily. And mm. now... I'm wondering what it'll look like <laughs> paired with the foulard. I mean, it's a very colorful, groovy shirt, so I'd have to find the right... Uh, uh, probably a solid would go better, because there's a lot of pattern going on on the shirt already. Sure, sure, sure. Well, uh, listen, you know, they make those too. Hey, what a relief. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Emily, time for your game. What a relief. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, Emily, uh, this is a very short game. It's called Matter Nims. <gasps> and the way it's played is I'm going to give you a description, and you're going to have to answer with a clothing or material-related synecdoche, synecdoche based on that description. Okay? Love it. I'm so excited. Okay. This is great because I've never, part of the reason I couldn't think of the right words and their meanings is because I feel like I've never really grasped synecdoche. I feel like yeah. I mix it up with metonyms a lot. Sh- and well, it's all very vague. Synecdoche is a type of metonym. It's a yeah. type of metonymy. So it is vague. You know? It's hard to like set apart like what is synecdoche. And what Absolutely. Is so well, I'm, I'm excited to play this game. Hammer it in. <laughs> so, Emily, if I'm talking to you about bullets, what might be a synecdochic way to describe it? To oh, describe bullets, like a like a term for bullets that that is either that is part of bullets, right? Used to and describe it's a, bullets, and it's a fashion related word F- or material. Material, just like irons. What is le- What is I almost said it. What are bullets made of, Emily? Lead. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, like uh, you're gonna eat lead. Yeah, eat lead, sucker. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, lead. So that's a synecdoche. Sure. Uh, what if I were to talk to you about business executives and lawyers? What might you call them? Oh, like, uh, like, like white collar? No, that's not a material. Hmm. No. Suits. Yeah, suits. Yeah. You got it, the suits. <laughs> yeah. What about combat troops? Particularly currently deployed, now deployed combat troops. Boots on the ground? Boots on the ground. <gasps> You're so good at this game. I love this game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, here's one that you brought up yourself earlier, but what might oh. you call the monarchy, especially the British monarchy? I didn't bring it up. Seth brought it up in a oh. text to us, but the crown. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Hey, Seth, thanks for the help. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Emily, your last one. This one can refer to military officers or to tubas and trumpets. <gasps> well, a military would be top brass or just brass. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's brass. Yeah, it's brass. Yeah. Yeah, because the military officers wear brass medals, right? Sure. And tubas and trumpets are made of brass. Are it's made of actually brass. more likely that you use top brass in a metaphorical sense when you're talking about your supervisor at your job. You're metaphorically comparing right. them to, to military a synecdoche for military officers. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Layers on layers. Layers on layers on layers. And, you know, that's probably how most garments are created, Emily, with layers on layers <laughs> on layers. Not the foulard. It's one layer, though. <laughs> Beautiful. Fun game. Uh, thank you, Emily. And fun episode. Uh, thank you, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> and fun podcast. And remember, everybody, that you can find this podcast, Butter No Parsnips, on social media, on Facebook, and on Instagram at Butter No Parsnips Podcast. Yeah, I know it was a bad segue, but I got there, so shut up. And if you liked it's that a run- segue... It's a running theme for this episode. <laughs> if you liked that segue and today's episode, consider giving us a five-star rating or review wherever you heard us. And if you really liked today's episode, consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Butter 
no parsnips. Donating $5 or more earns you a shout out either on social media or here on the podcast. So thanks so much to all of you. You help us make what we make. And with that, I've been Kyle Imperator. And I've been Emily Moyers. And this has been oh, butter, no and butter no parsnips. parsnips. You wanted to do it together. I know you did. <laughs> Emily, we love we love ending the episode together. 